0: You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Haronimus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Welcome to 21st Century Radio. I'm Dr. Zohara Haronimus. Our executive producer is Laura Kortner and A.Y. Warshaw, runs our board. Joining us this portion of our program is Kyle Baird. Kyle is the executive vice president of World Vets. World vets help communities worldwide facing the impact of natural and man-made disasters. They work with local organizations in helping to rescue animals in harm's way, as well as to educate others worldwide about proper animal care. They make fifty trips in thirty-six countries each year expressing why they are called World Vets. In fact, one interview I had scheduled prior with their founder, veterinarian Kathy King, was postponed because she and others were on their way to Japan after the earthquake and nuclear disaster that followed. Here to share with us their amazing work, it is my pleasure, Kyle, to have you join us this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. For sure. it's It's been um, something I've been just absolutely fascinated by, of how a group of, what is it, some... 1,500 registered vets in your organization deploy worldwide?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And and, uh, besides veterinarians, uh, the majority of the people are just volunteers that are either animal lovers or have other skills in the veterinary uh, industry, such as technicians or students.
0: So when one thinks about that kind of emergency response, you know, we watch the Red Cross and we watch international aid communities. Most people aren't aware that even in our own country, you all are deployed during these terrible environmental challenges. So describe for us the actual way in which you go about doing the work you do. Like, give us an example. What happens when there's a flood somewhere?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, right now there's a flood in Thailand, and that'd be a great example to talk about uh, so when we, when we start hearing that there's, uh, you know, the flood the has kind of been uh, something that has sort of come upon us uh, slowly, and it was nice for us. Uh, we, we had time to prepare. And what we try to do is uh, get uh, someone out there on the ground as soon as possible. We have uh, two veterinarians and a first responder out there now, and we send them with as many veterinary medical supplies as we can. And, uh, and then we try to keep the shipments coming. And I think one of the things in, in developing countries, when you have a disaster like this, you know, there's not as many veterinarians as there are here in the, in the United States. And uh, so every hand that, that can help and every, uh, every medication that we can get to them is of real use.
0: When, for instance, I know during Katrina, it was probably the first time Americans really saw the consequence of animals being abandoned, And and then you heard afterwards people saying, I will never leave my home again without my animals. And I understand there's been a change in some way in policy. But what what? So let's say so you put now, as an example, in Thailand, you have your first responder on the ground. They're sent over with medications. But what kind of environments do you how do you go about actually being of service? I mean, it's so mind boggling the scale of the tragedies that ensue how does a group of volunteers who sometimes don't even speak the language show up and, and start acting as a rescue force?
1: Right, right, exactly. And I, I think in there, the news is saying right now that there are something like sixty to 80,000 dogs that are just loose. And uh, we've, uh, we've seen pictures, so there's some pictures on our Facebook page and on, on the, our website where dogs will just find high ground and there will be a whole group of like 100 dogs hanging around one area. Um, and so, you know, obviously with, with that kind of number, we can only help, help so many. And uh, there are organizations over there in, in Thailand uh, as well, and we try to work with them. And we're kind of the, the muscle behind what they're doing. We get a, you know, get the supplies to them and then get our people out there and, uh, and, and try to work as a team with, with uh, the people that are already there and, and on the ground and know the area.
0: So for, you had mentioned, you know, that I know that you're not a vet, but that you were drawn to this work. How did you get involved?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I've worked in the veterinary business uh, for about 12 years, and uh, on the on the business side of the, of the veterinary business, the supply side, and uh, I went on a couple of world vets trips, and my wife was a technician when we first met, and, uh, um, and she, you know, we both love animals, and so she she went on a world Pets trip and then said you got to go on one of these things it's, it's a blast and uh, so the first trip I took was to Nicaragua and we did a, a, a stay and neuter clinic in, in Nicaragua and we probably stayed and neutered uh, you know probably 300 animals and I was hooked after that it was, you know seeing the people you can tell the people love they love their pets just like we do here um, and they, they don't know what what they you know how to treat them um, they don't have access to. Uh, flea medications, anything like that. So a lot of times you'll see animals that are, are um, real thin. Uh, they, they have fleas all over them. And, and those are things that we can, we can help fix, you know, real, really uh, right away and make a real good impact on that. Uh, so, and then we've done uh, another one that, that was a, a great one. I, uh, uh, both my wife and I, we really love donkeys. And uh, in Africa... Uh, they they use donkeys uh, of, they still use a donkey for a lot of work that they do they use them for carrying water, uh, carrying uh, you know pulling wagons uh, whatever whatever kind of work that you would do with a wheelbarrow and they I would say that that uh, Africans maybe have the, the same relationship with their donkey in general that we might have with a the wheelbarrow. They look at it, a donkey as just a tool and because of that a lot of the donkeys are abused or, Malnourished, and uh, they they have areas where they're just you know like they they hook them up and they use a rope to hook them up to a um, to a couple of buckets and the rope will rub back and forth on their back and it will cause this big wound. It never gets treated, and uh, you know it 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 it, uh, it gets to be a pretty rough situation for that donkey. So we were able to go down there and uh, do that, and we're really we're working on starting a whole a whole new trip uh, for. Or we can get a bunch of veterinarians down there, a bunch of students, a bunch of technicians to really massively take care of these donkeys in the area.
0: But you're also describing a a cultural difference. I mean, I know that in Nicaragua, where you mentioned you have a spay and neuter clinic, uh, that in Central America or in Latin America especially, you know, they, they won't let dogs be neutered the men down there at least not the male dog they'll spay the female but they won't neuter the male and and so i imagine in each culture there's a different attitude about animals than some of us have you know there's some americans who will abuse an animal just like anybody else will abuse an animal somewhere around the world but so how do you deal with that when there's a real cultural difference between Looking at an animal as just utility, like our unfortunate scientific medical labs do, they just look at it like it's a thing with no conscience, no feeling no no life rights <laughs> just because they're they're not human I mean so how do you go about addressing that?
1: yeah um well you know so i i I've definitely got to echo what you say with that uh, you know in uh, in central america the, the, the cultural thing down there is this sort of uh, the smoke and uh, I just find it hilarious when we when we go down there uh, probably you know if we do uh, 300 sterilizations 290 of them will be uh, stays right they'll
0: be female dogs
1: yeah because the, the men and, and then when you think about a stay a stay is like a real surgery where a neuter yes, it is, is. Is, is way less invasive way easier to do um, but it is such a cultural thing the men do not want that that dog to uh, to, to you know, to be not be intact, and, and uh, it, it cracks me up because you know a, a, an unneutered dog is more likely to roam. There's obviously mean, just all these reasons that it would be great to, to neuter them. Well, and, the female uh,
0: can so, only be impregnated once with a litter, and then impregnated again. But a male dog can go and impregnate a hundred dogs. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly so it. idiotic exactly that it's it. so, so,
1: so, so. You know, we know that nothing is going to change overnight, and it, it, it's a slow change, and. And um, so uh, we, really, we really try to educate them uh, on, you know, I think our priority is really instead of try, trying to change that culture, you know, it, it, if we can stay dogs, it's, that's a, a really big thing too. We, and, and we just try to work within the culture and do the best work that we can. And, um, you know, I think over the long term some of these things will change. You know, with the donkeys, um, that's one too where we think that, if we start in the schools and start with, with kids and talk about uh, respecting animals and uh, that, that uh, kindness to animals is, is a positive thing, um, we, can, we, we think that we can really change that. You know, and, again, these are really long-term propositions, but we're, that's what we're about. You know, we we, we want to be doing this for a long time. We want to be around and, and really turn this into an, organiza- an organization that really helps a lot of animals over a long period of time.
0: So, for instance, going back to Katrina, did you mm-hmm. all have um, teams deployed in Louisiana and elsewhere?
1: Yeah, so in, during Katrina, we, you know, um, we did not. And because, uh, you know, we're, we've been a kind of a rapidly growing organization. We were founded in 2006, and, and when Katrina, so typically, you know, we were founded with uh, international veterinary uh, projects in mind, and, were to do a, a, a U.S.-based one. There's a lot more moving parts, mm-hmm. and we, we wanted to make sure that if we got involved, we did it in the right way, and that mm-hmm. we didn't step on other people's toes. Um, and, and we think that we and we have the infrastructure now to uh, to respond to uh, a U.S. disaster. But it, definitely at the time when, when Katrina happened, we didn't feel like we did. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So it's... you know, it, 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 it is a lot more complex situation in the U.S. where uh, you know, with with Japan and with Thailand, I mean, th- those are just people looking for help. And with Japan, you know, we were able to ship um, a, a, a whole, you know, couple, um, a couple train loads or a couple, uh, you know, shipping container loads of product food. that was a really big help to, to them. And, uh, you know, we didn't stop right at, you know, I think the news, the news media, you know, they kind of stopped covering it, you know, a month afterwards. Um, but we're still, we're still sending stuff over there because we know that, you know, there's still, there's still loose dogs. There's still dogs that are unclaimed. There's, you know, uh, they, they still need our support.
0: And, and what happens after a natural disaster in another country and there are all these animals, do they just start euthanizing them? I mean, do they just start killing them all?
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I'm sure that happens. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that seems to be kind of a, a default uh, way of dealing with, with those kind of problems in, in, in a lot of places. But, um, you know, I think it varies by, by situation. So, uh, you know, in a lot of, like Japan, I don't know if, if many dogs have been euthanized. Um, but, you know, we're trying to do our part to make sure that that doesn't happen.
0: And and so then your goal is education and assistance.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So when you deploy, how many people deploy? I mean, you described in Thailand that you have about three people down on the ground, but I know a lot more than those go when you do one of your larger response teams.
1: Right, right. So a typical response would be uh, uh, 20 people, and uh, that would be a typical team that would do a project, uh, you know, 20 to 25, actually, and... and uh, um, so, you know, this with uh, what's happening in Thailand right now, um, you know, we're just getting, you know, our, our, our news back from our people that are down there, and we don't even know if the infrastructure is there to handle a whole team. You know, like, well, one thing we don't want to do is send people over there and then not have a way for them to really work. Um, so, This team is is kind of like a first responder team that that can look at the situation, see what the magnitude of the the disaster is, and then see if if we can get to the places that we need to go to get the work done that we need to get done.
0: Well, I remember in Japan there were people fleeing Japan, and, and you all were going into Japan. I mean, do you find that when you have first responders on the ground that the news you get is different than the mainstream media news?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that, that there's definitely different stories that you see. Um, you know, the Thailand thing has been has been weird. Uh, that there hasn't been all that much coverage on it.
0: Practically none, um, I, mean, I might add. More
1: coverage on uh, it's it, it, uh, affecting uh, disk drive prices uh, than than you know, and, and electronic components prices than than anything else. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, I think I, we call I, that the world, we'll,
0: the world Inc. Response. That's world Inc. I N C. That's the world Inc. Response. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just thinking out loud here.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think, I, I, think that, you know, um, you know, I guess, I guess what we're seeing from our limited point of view with the people that we have down there, there's just a lot of water everywhere. There's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, sort of chaotic. Um, and, uh, it, it uh, I mean, I, I think the flooding is is uh, was a shock to you know our our, our first responder who's an employee of that I think the flooding, the amount of flooding, was a shock to him.
0: Oh, it has to be. I mean, things that go on around the world that our media doesn't cover, which is costing far more lives than the disasters in our own country that we do cover. It's a it's a very interesting phenomenon. While we have global access, we don't really have a value of. That life is valued the same. It's some lives are more important than other lives, and the media covers the lives. I guess I don't know. I, I'm I'm out of it now. I used to be. Every day of my life was in the media, and I I don't understand how degenerate it's become. You know, I just don't understand why it has become such a lousy. It's hardly a third estate. It's more like a back porch. You know, anyway, so when you all, we're going to take a little break. I want to come back and talk a little bit about the volunteers and um, what volunteers do. There might be some people in our audience who love animals, who also like to travel, who like to be of service. And this might be right up their alley. So we'll be right back. If you've just tuned in, I'm Zoe Hieronymus. Our guest is Kyle Baird, Executive Vice President of World Vets, and you can find them at www.worldvets.org. So, Kyle, I still have a lot of questions for you. It, it's just sort of boggling to my mind of how one deploys, goes into a disaster area, shows up to do good, and then is able to. And I I know that you mentioned that you have a lot of volunteers. In fact, your vets volunteer, but you have others that aren't vets, and um, they want to participate. And if they go to your website, they'll find, and we'll talk about some of these, you have trips to the Caribbean, to the Dominican Republic, to Belize, to the Honduras, and, and other places. So how do volunteers help? What do they do?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, well, let me start with uh, unskilled volunteers, because that's what I am. And, uh, you know, I have no no veterinary skill whatsoever, and they still need people just like me on, on these trips and on these projects. And uh, somebody, you know, for me, I, I, I can't do any, any kind of treatment, but I can resta- restrain animals. I can uh, I can uh, try to communicate with the local people, uh, and I can uh, clean up, and I can watch animals in recovery. There's a lot of things that, that uh, I can do uh, as, a, as an unskilled volunteer. So, you don't have to be anything but, but someone who loves animals and, and really wants to help uh, to, to uh, go on one of these trips. And, uh, uh, but how how long
0: does does a a general trip last?
1: Usually, they last uh, about seven days, and uh, uh, the, they range. Some of them uh, some of them last a little longer. Sometimes they're ten or eleven. My wife went to Mongolia, uh, and that trip was a little longer. Um, they had to they had to travel travel quite a bit to get uh, to the to the place in Mongolia that they were going.
0: And. Does everybody pay their own way?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. So um, you you are responsible for your flight, and then uh, there's a trip fee that uh, pays for your your living, your food, and all that stuff. Most of what your uh, your expenses while you're in that country.
0: So the organization takes care of establishing where everyone will live, uh-huh. and then a volunteer pays their. Ticket price as well as the price to be a participant, and then how else does World Vets get funded?
1: So we have, uh, yeah, there's a, a few ways. Uh, we have a few foundations that that sponsor us. Uh, the biggest one being the Foundation Bridget Bardot in uh, out of Paris, and uh, and then we have uh, corporate sponsors as well from from the veterinary industry. Some of the suppliers in the industry uh, also uh, donate product and. Uh, uh, and, and their services as well.
0: Do you happen to know what that represents monetarily, all of that donation?
1: Um, we get oh, all that together, I would say, uh, with with product and everything, uh, oh, maybe a, a million and a half dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. A year? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and so then your vets, though, the vets themselves also volunteer and pay their way? Yeah, they sure do. How interesting! What a what a beautiful concept.
1: And when... yeah, it is. It, it works really well, and I think that you know, from a standpoint of, of someone that is a, a, a that is you know volunteered on the trips, you you really feel like um, you know you could go take a vacation somewhere and enjoy yourself, but this is about doing something. You come back feeling really good. You worked hard uh, during the trip, but you got to see a really cool country, and then the the things that you that you experience on a trip like this with the local people are things that you would never experience uh, we went to uh, to Ecuador and and uh, the Ecuadorian people we got to know them so well and we got to you know we actually got to build relationships with the individuals there and you know people would come in and uh, and, and to the to the clinic and we'd you know they'd be there all day and you just hang out with them and 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 uh, just it was just the best you know and everybody they're all people that love their pets you know so we have that bond in common and it just uh it's it's a blast it's it's something something real unique and and real fun to do
0: well it's so interesting you mentioned about the pets cuz i remember um in i don't know if it was on your website no it was somewhere i was reading about where they don't oh in Tanzania where they don't think of a dog as a pet, but a pest, or a defense tool, but but they laugh if somebody pets a dog. Yeah, I mean, that is it, it exactly is such right. an yeah, anathema so they, uh, to They us. definitely,
1: you know. And I think uh, it, it, when you, uh, an observation. I don't know if this is a correct observation. This is just my observation from being in these places that uh, the more close to sustenance living that you're that you're, the, the you know, maybe sure. an area is that people are. Um, the less concern that they have for an animal as, as a pet, or well, the less they want to have a relationship with that mm-hmm. animal. Um, and as a country starts to develop and um, the, the uh, economics of the country um, uh, allow for maybe uh, um, a, more, a higher standard of living, that people start to appreciate pets more. It, it seems that would just be a, a, a real. Generalization I think that's very logical. That, that,
0: you know that if yeah, you, if, that if you don't have much and you're just trying to stay alive and feed your family, you don't have that. You know what we do in this country: the billions of dollars are spent on pampering our pets, all the way from clothes stores for them to little hotels. Now, to, you know, it's the surrogate children thing. But but it interests me from um, from a perspective of. For nations where animals are so critical to their agriculture, you would think there would be a different kind of respect for the animal. I mean, the way you describe the donkeys and that they have these horrible festering sores from carrying the water, you would think that they could make the connection that when the donkey dies from disease, there's a relationship between the fact that they didn't just put a blanket or something on its back so it didn't get the sores. I mean, it almost seems illogical.
1: Yeah, you know, well, I think with donkey, it's kind of like a market thing because I think there's, uh, they don't castrate their donkeys, so there's there's a lot of them, so that a donkey is not very expensive uh, in Africa, and I think they look at them like, oh, we'll just use them up, uh, and and just get a like a like a wheelbarrow, you know, mm-hmm. use it until it breaks and get a new one, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting too, like the the day in the life of a donkey. Um, we we met a couple of veterinarians over there that that have done a lot more work on this and. They said that the day in the life, a donkey will get up at, at, uh, at 6 a.m. It will, it will work all day, so it will be carrying water in the morning and then maybe carrying a uh, brush or, or pulling a leg in the afternoon. Work until 7 or 8 at night, and then um, the, the owner will just turn it out, and the donkey will have to go find water and food. And, and in the dry season, sometimes those donkeys will go like three days without water and you know, eating just kind of whatever they can find. And uh, and working all day. And I, and the, the craziest thing is the donkey comes back in the morning, you know, it comes right back and it's ready to work again in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a loyal animal, you mm-hmm. know. And, and, uh, so, I, I, yeah, I really I mean, it, 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 I, it's something that just, you know, gets me emotionally when I when I when I think about it. Mm-hmm. They were just nice donkeys. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know so many people in this kind of work and I have such deep respect for all of you that do it because i think i'd just be a crying mess you know i th- i guess i mean people say no you get used to it well i don't know that i would get used to it
1: yeah it's i mean i think it's hard to see but i think that uh you know you you when when you're doing something to help them mm-hmm. um, it, it, it feels really good and you can you can see a tangible difference and um and and really that's i mean that's that's why i'm doing this mm-hmm. you know, that's why i I, I work for World Vets, that's why I go on these trips, and uh, and, and 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 I donate my money this way because it's it's, it's this this stuff is important to me. And
0: uh, for anybody, yeah, and I,
1: and in the so I think that like when I'm there, uh, you know, I when I when I come back, I have this, uh, I get a little choked up talking about it. Mm-hmm. But when I'm there, it's like all about work, and you're just helping them.
0: I understand that. I mean, I know enough emergency responders who deal with human disaster and human need, and they all say that, that, you know, you get in, you do your work, and then you go home and cry. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that it, exactly.
0: That. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that we are humans, we do have hearts, and we do have our own um, sensitivities. And I guess I have a particular sensitivity about animals in general and nature all around. So when you then look at how you do it, so describe for us, for instance, I noticed that you do these equine missions to Granada, and you have one coming up. What happens?
1: Yeah, so, um, well, so Granada, it, it's a very interesting town. So um, one of the primary modes, I mean, there's about 100,000 people living in this town, and uh, the primary mode of transportation is still horse. And so there's like 4,000 horses in this town a lot of horses and uh, they, you know they just don't have access to, um, to to any kind of veterinary care so we will uh, we' we'll go down there and we go two to three times a year so that they know we're coming uh, they know where we go and we set up a um, you know a, 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 an area where we can work on the horses and people just bring by their horses and, and we'll treat them for whatever they've got and uh, you know sometimes there can be some uh, extensive extensive treatments that Of the things that we can do down there and uh sometimes it's just you know quick uh, quick you know uh floating their teeth uh whatever so um and and then we can you know we can worm them and vaccinate them and all that too so those are those are really good things for uh, to, to help that but you can see we can only probably treat uh in the time that we go maybe we treat 250 horses 300 horses um so to get all four thousand, you know, it's going to take it's going to take a number of years to do that. But uh, you know, that's kind of our goal to uh, to do that and educate. At the same time, we're down there. We're always training local veterinarians. Uh, they're they're working hand in hand with us. Our veterinarians are training their veterinarians. So it's it's a really good help and a really good partnership.
0: When you then do return visits, obviously. The communities then expect you to come, appreciate that you come, and that must change over time. I mean, you described going there a number of times a year. Are there other places that you've been going repeatedly that you've seen a change because of your presence?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I think all the ones that that, uh, about, from what I understand, about the third trip, you start to see uh, some of the same faces and. Uh, you know, things, things start to change where there would once be a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a crazy amount of, of, of dogs just running loose. Um, you might see less of that. Um, you know, more dogs are being treated. Um, the, the, the general um, look and feel of the dog, the, 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 the typical dog that comes in, or, or the cat, cats are, are more rare, um, but the, the the general look and feel of the dog is it's it's a, it's a better health, you know than mm-hmm. uh, than, than they have been. So,
0: mm-hmm. oh, that's, uh, they, that's exactly. Lovely.
1: So over the long term, I think that you know we can definitely we're, we're doing some studies right now to really to really keen in on this and and uh, to be able to show it. but definitely from a from a standpoint of what people are saying and what we hear, uh, there's a, there's a, a really good outcome.
0: Have you ever had an experience where a community said, go away? I mean, I can't imagine it, but it's possible with governments the way governments can be. Right.
1: Um, you know, we have not yet. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's always local politics and there's always things that uh, where, you know, you sometimes you'll have like a government that's, that's, uh, that's unfriendly or that, that for, for some reason they don't want you doing this. Um, we, we haven't had anybody say go away when we're down there. Usually we try to figure out where, where the friendly places are going to be so that when we get down there, we can actually do do the work we're, we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm.
0: And and tell us a little bit. You have this International Veterinary Medicine Program. What is that?
1: Yeah, so um, it, this, is, this is pretty cool, and I think this is something that is, is really going to change things over the next few years, uh, in Latin America specifically. Uh, we, we are opening a training center, an international training center, and in 2012, we're going to send through this training center uh, about 500 Latin American uh, veterinarians, so they will be able to go in and be trained by U.S. veterinarians on surgery and, and treatment, and that uh, you know all the things that veterinarians need to learn. Uh, in addition, we're going to be sending uh, about 120 U.S. vet students, and uh, so this would be like you know seniors that are ready to graduate, and some some vet schools have. Have um, put this as a as a yeah, they're giving course credit for this and they're sending their entire graduating class down there for uh, for the entire week.
0: That's fantastic. Um, so that they yeah, actually so, have a, a real life experience in another country, and that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, the students I think get a really big benefit. That students get a really big benefit out of this because uh, they you know. Uh, I don't know that vet schools would. Uh, well, I'll tell you what Kathy tells me when she when she graduated from college from veterinary school, she had her doctorate in veterinary medicine. Uh, she had done one spay and one neuter.
0: Oh my lord! Don't tell me these things. Oh my. Yeah, God. and so you know so where, where do they where, get you their know, experience. Get experience.
1: So really, I mean, and, and I think that this is you know this is to be expected when a when a veterinary clinic hires a new grad, the veterinarian knows that they're going to have to train train that new grad grad from the ground up on surgery techniques and and those things.
0: They don't do what like other people do. They don't then go like you do in the medical community where you have residency as a surgeon or residency as an orthopedic whatever.
1: They're less common. They do have a uh, residency program, but they're they're much less common. Usually it'll How just be a, a student they will go graduate and they'll get hired at that clinic and and that's the residency.
0: Well, that is a big surprise. So I, yeah. That's really interesting. So it wouldn't be real good to go to a new vet then, <laughs> not a young well, one. Well, I don't know that
1: it's not good. It, it's, I think that the new vet, it's, usually they have a good system in place um, for, a, for a, a veterinarian to be trained. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have the experienced veterinarian standing in helping out. I see. Uh, I don't think they just turn them loose in a room and say, <laughs> hey, stay this cat. Um,
0: I don't know. So, I'm you know, going to have to I think for the future, right, I'll just start uh, you know, asking everybody,
1: the... everybody in the industry I think really cares about animals. But uh, well, that's true. What this does for the students, though, it gives them a little more experience in that area, and mm-hmm. um, and I think you know it, it, it's uh, it's something for them that that I mean it's so funny the students they love this because this is a huge chance for them to to do what you know they've been studying for how many years to do this, and they finally get a chance to do it. So it's a really, really cool opportunity for
0: them. It's very interesting. Well, look, we're going to take our last break of the hour, and then we'll come back and take a look at some of the other upcoming trips. I'm interested in that Pacific Partnership, the collaboration with the U.S. Navy on board ships. So we'll talk about that. If you've just joined us, you're a lucky listener. Our guest is Kyle Baird from World Vets. You can find them at www.worldvets.vets.org. World Vets goes around the world, and they really help all sorts of communities in times of disaster and in times of good keeping when they do a lot of education. And so I mentioned before the break, Kyle, that you have this amazing upcoming partnership, the Pacific Partnership, which is a collaboration with the U.S. Navy on board ships. Tell us all about that.
1: Yeah, so um, this is something we've done for for a few years, and this is a really cool program that the the U.S. Navy does is that... uh, uh, they, they send out a, a humanitarian aid ship, and uh, they um, this year they're going over, um, oh, I'm trying to think of, it's going to be in, in uh, kind of the, the uh, Southeast Asia area, and they stop at, you know, I, I think the, the locations haven't been finalized yet, but they stop in, in several locations. They'll stay there for a couple weeks, and they'll do humanitarian aid, whatever, whatever that area needs. And uh, um, they've done everything from... Uh, you know, build a, a, a hospital, uh, upgrade buildings, um, you know, help uh, do do. They They send doctors, dentists, uh, so they'll do treatments on people and all that. And along with that, um, they have a veterinary team, and we we provide the, the uh, volunteers that are part of that veterinary team. And uh, it's, it's an awesome experience for, for the right person. Um, and I, I think what, you know, what, what happens is that, uh, you, that person, you know, some people uh, stay on the whole trip, and it's it's about a uh, two- to three-month trip where you're on the Navy ship or you're on the, uh, you know, on, on uh, whatever, in whatever country that that they're in. And you'll work all day, be back on the Navy ship at night, and then you, you know, when they take off, you take off with them, and, and that's like you're, like you're part of the ship.
0: How interesting.
1: Yeah, it's really, really cool. and I mean, the Navy has been a really, really great partner for us, too. They've been... They're, they've been so good about helping us get supplies to places that are hard to get supplies to. Um, and, you know, that's one of the biggest issues. Is you know, some of the medications and stuff that we ship, um, there's always there's always issues getting it through customs or or, or just shipping it to to uh, you know to uh, some of these countries. And the Navy has has really helped us out. They'll take a pallet for us and they'll put it in and and uh, uh, and they can just deliver it. Uh, it takes a little bit of advanced planning, but we can get supplies to places that need it in a real, really great way with them.
0: Now, given that World Vets does so much when disaster strikes, I also see on your website that you teach people about disaster preparedness for your pet. And, and that there's very special needs for floods or earthquakes or hurricanes or droughts. They're different, like they are in different parts of the world that you all prepare for. So give us a, a few tips about preparedness for our pets.
1: <laughs> you know, Zoe, uh, so I would say for, for, for me, I, I, I probably would not be qualified to give any good tips. Uh, for that, <laughs> well then, vegetarian. let me start.
0: <laughs> Keep some extra food on hand.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? You're, you are much better. You're, you're probably so much better at preparing for this than I am. <gasps> All I try to do is make sure that the smart people are in the right place at the right time. And 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 uh, so yes. What What are the ways to be prepared for these?
0: Make sure if your animal takes medicines, to have extra on hand. And of course, when you're storing food and water for yourself, you think about your animals as well. That's simple enough. You know, it's very interesting. I've worked with so many people who work with animals who have been traumatized and animals who are being, you know, brought home from shelters or animals who have been shipped around from shelter to shelter. And one of the really easy things to do is the same thing you do for preparedness in your own household, which is when animals, as an example, just come home from a shelter for the first time, it's really important to give them a space where they know they're safe a safe place. And for a cat, it might mean an elevated place on a bed where nobody can get to it, but it has a blanket or something it can hide under. I mean, it it takes just not a lot. It just takes the mindset of making them feel safe. And I think the same thing in a disaster. Whether you have children or family members or animals, there's an element of safety that is just in terms of common experience. So if, for instance, your basement is where you go when there's some disaster, bad storm, then you want to be sure that where you have a place in your basement, if you have a dog, that there's a dog bed or something it's familiar with. It's bad. You know, so I think some of it's just common sense that maybe for women, it's very easy because we nurture people all the time and nurturing an animal is no different. You have to make them feel safe. So looking though at your job, how how do you work as a vice president of all these teams? What specifically are you responsible for?
1: yeah so uh, you know we're a pretty small organization we're very lean um, you know we, we try to be uh, very efficient with uh, with donors money so everybody at World Vets does a little bit of everything uh, to, to do this and uh, so uh, a lot of things that, that uh, you know I, I, I kind of fill in as needed in, in uh in a lot of places uh, when it comes to you know helping helping uh, get the teams put together um, some of the communications, uh, and, and and those things, and then a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I uh, probably the, my biggest push um, is to work with the vendors in in the veterinary industry to get them to donate products mm-hmm. and, uh, and and to, you know get them to donate the things that we need you know and, and uh, you know they really want to help and uh, they you know I think that with, it's it's a, a question of having us. You know, tell them these are the things that we need right now, and, and uh, you know, a lot of companies have, have been really great, and they've stepped up as when when we needed it to, um, and, and given us product, and, and uh, or or uh, uh, they've done cash donations that have really helped us finance some of these things. So, right now with Thailand, um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time working with, uh, with some of the bigger suppliers in the industry, so... Uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, I would say that would be my, my, my biggest push right now is, is is that.
0: When anybody in our listening audience is thinking to themselves, well, I love animals and I love to take care of things and I also like to travel. How do you screen your volunteers and what would somebody in our listening audience who might be interested in going on one of these one-week trips to help, um, what do they do?
1: Yeah, so uh, the first thing you do is, is, is join World Vets. So and it's really easy if you go to our website, uh, we have a uh, join World Bets button, and uh, you you enter in the personal information. Um, there's an annual fee, and then uh, uh, and then you're joined, and then uh, you you can sign up for any trip. And um, each trip on our website shows if uh, what you know what spots are available, and. Uh, you can just look around, and, and we post new trips uh, every so often. And as, a, as a, a member, you automatically get an email when uh, we post a new trip. And if you are a person that uh, you know, if you're a, say you're a veterinary technician, uh, you can definitely you know def- veterinary technicians are the positions we need the most. So, um, really easy to get uh, to uh, to get on a trip. Um, Students, uh, you know, the student positions fill up fast. Uh, veterinary positions fill up fast, so you, you'd want to be on top of that. And then the, the uh, unskilled people, those positions, uh, it, it just depends on the trip. Those sometimes fill up really fast. Sometimes they don't. So if you look around on there, you can kind of see what's open.
0: How many people all together? I mean, I remember at the start of the interview, in looking at the different numbers, you have 1,500 registered vets. How many volunteers?
1: Uh, total, you I mean, well, we have, we have Just about 3,600 members.
0: What do, uh, uh, I'm 12, sorry. That. What did you say? Uh,
1: 3,600 members.
0: Oh, wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a, we've got a good, uh, a good membership base and, and gosh, I don't, you know, I don't know the number of total volunteers that we've sent on, uh, that have actually gone on a trip. Um, I, I don't I don't know that offhand It's very
0: interesting though I mean you all have grown really quickly and you go all over the world. how has this work affected you? I mean, you described how you went on a trip with your wife who's a vet technician and you got hooked on it and now it's your life but are there any stories you want to share with us that are particularly dear to your heart?
1: yeah you know uh, I, you know there's, a, there's I, I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, every every trip that I've taken um I would say that that uh, there is, you know, the, the some of the most enjoyable people for me were the, were the Ecuadorians, and uh, the, the Ecuadorians. We 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 worked in a town, kind of a mid sized town in Ecuador, uh, called Ibarra, and uh, we we set up the because they kind of have like a YMCA type of of uh, a building there, and that's what we set up. and And uh, the people would come in, and and they and they had this kind of this courtyard, and they'd sit in there with their pets, and we give them a number, and. Or, and then and then we we'd take their names and so I'd have to go out there and call people's names and I and and I would just butcher their names and so they were all laughing at me and and uh, you know everybody there was laughing and joking around and and, and you know there's old ladies that uh, you know they'd just stay all day and they they'd help me with the names and so it was just it was a blast and like the people would the funniest thing was that they they had a lot of like small fluffy white dogs there and um and they would come in and uh, they would the people uh, like I think it was like uh, mostly uh, women owners would paint the dog's toenails pink uh, or their you know their claws pink <laughs> so they'd come in with these pink claws and it was just the funniest thing in the world you know they just left them you know and uh, um, I mean, they were they were some of the funnest people to work with and uh, you know and, and there's a couple guys that came in this one guy specifically he was this real tough looking guy you know he had, the, he had sunglasses on and he was kind of a macho guy and he had two schnauzers and he came in with those schnauzers and he, i mean he loved these things you know and it was like like you could see like the tough looking guy had this total soft spot for his mm-hmm. dogs you know and uh, i i i really i, I love that guy he was just he's really cool and i think he got you know, in fact i remember he got one of his dogs shooters one was a male, and he got it neutered too, which showed he was a real man.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So, do yeah. people also bring like their roosters or their hens or their sheep or their goats? Or
1: yeah, definitely. So yeah, we'll treat anything, um, and, uh, and 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 a lot of it depends on you know what we're what we're you know what kind of area we're set up in. If mm-hmm. it's a more rural area, we definitely start to see um, you know any any kind of animal. Um, and then we have we've had some uh, like we had a mission in Haiti. That uh, was a uh, specifically for livestock, mm-hmm. um, and so and then the one my wife went on to in Mongolia that was a very interesting one where um, they they worked on camels, yaks, and goats.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that um, makes sense. That's what there. they have.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, most by the of these way, animals, have you ever
0: seen that beautiful film called Weeping Camel? Oh, you must uh, get no, that. Okay, I've never writing it down. It's called Weeping Camel. It's a documentary about the Mongolians and their camels, actually. It's an extraordinary film. It's a foreign film. Of course, the good ones are all foreign, but except for Woody Allen's, so anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, we are almost out of time. Anything I didn't get to for you? How about a phone no, number? I think we
1: covered everything. I think we covered everything. I could talk about this for another hour.
0: Well, what about a phone number, Kyle, that people can call? Uh, uh, you mean
1: a phone number for World Vets? Yeah. Yeah, let me give it to you. It's uh, 877-688-8387. And, Zoe, and, can I repeat that one more time? Sure, I'll repeat it I for you.
0: 10? 877-688-8387. That's a lot of eights. That's transformation. That's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you, and please give my regards to Kathy, the founder, and i um, you all just do a beautiful job, and it makes my heart happy to know that there are people like you doing this great work.
1: Well, so thank you very much, and, and really thank you for getting the message out there. And, and uh, we, we love animal lovers, uh, so, so thank you so You're much. You're
0: welcome. Thank you all, and good night to you. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Kortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington, and I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus.